Welcome to Budget Watchdog, All Federal, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending, and tax issues facing the nation. Cut through the partisan rhetoric and talking points for the facts about what's being talked about, bandied about, and pushed to Washington. Brought to you by Taxpayers for Common Sense. And now, the host of Budget Watchdog AF, TCS President Steve Ellis. Welcome to all American taxpayers seeking common sense. You've made it to the right place. For over 25 years, TCS, that's Taxpayers for Common Sense, has served as an independent, nonpartisan budget watchdog group based in Washington, D.C. We believe in fiscal policy for America that is based on facts. We believe in transparency and accountability because no matter where you are on the political spectrum, no one wants to see their tax dollars wasted. It's 2022 and the 117th Congress continues to roll on. But what's really in the realm of the possible right now? Today, Budget Watchdog AF is going to give you the lay of the land in Washington, D.C., an honest assessment of where things stand on the Biden administration's signature social welfare legislation, Build Back Better, and the latest on the federal budget and the very necessary appropriations bills that are going along with it. To help us catch up and hit the ground running, I'm joined by TCS Vice President Autumn Hanna. She was our first guest in 2021 and reprising that role this year. Welcome, Autumn. Thanks, Steve. Good to be here in 2022. And another Budget Watchdog AF frequent flyer, TCS Senior Policy Analyst, Josh Sewell. Good to have you back again, Josh. Great to be here. Here at TCS, our team takes great pride in our work on tracking the federal budget and providing unparalleled analysis. Josh, what do listeners need to know about where we are and what's to come in 2022 on the federal budget? Well, the first thing to know is we don't have one yet. Here we are four months into the fiscal year, and we don't actually have a federal budget. Congress hasn't agreed to anything. And that's for 2022. So we're basically rolling along and don't have the funding, but yet we're also coming up on the 2023 budget. Yeah, we are. So at the uh, end of the fiscal year last year, Congress hadn't agreed to any funding for this fiscal year. So they had to pass a CR and they passed a four month CR that expires here in the middle of February. And we're actually rolling up on the time when normally the president would be releasing his budget request for fiscal year 23. And CR is a continuing resolution. So just extending funding at last year's spending levels. That's right. So we are essentially much of the government is running on autopilot, basically spending at the exact same levels as last year. There's a few exceptions here and there, but for the most part, agencies, doesn't matter if your priorities changed, got a few new things going on, you're still spending at last year's budget levels. And there was some committee action last year in the House and Senate on appropriations, but they weren't able to get anything across the finish line. And so now we're looking at trying to do either another continuing resolution, another stopgap funding solution, or putting a bunch of things together in some sort of omnibus. You know, we've talked about continuing resolutions before about how they're not good. And and actually last week, there was a hearing um, in Congress talking about how dire a uh, continuing resolution would be for the Pentagon. But in reality, they're, they're not any exception, are they? I mean, it's a bad deal for government writ large to be operating under this sort of autopilot funding from the previous year's level. Yeah, absolutely. Because things change in here. I mean, I think the experience with COVID-19 can show anybody that some things come up that you hadn't planned for, but other things that you see on the horizon are there. And so agencies need to be able to adjust. And if you've ever been involved in 
the federal budget planning process, it's a very long process. And it normally starts almost as soon as the appropriations bills are passed, the next year's budgeting starts. So there's a lot of thought that goes into, in each agency, figuring out what their requirements are, what they need to do. And when Congress drops the ball and doesn't actually get back to those agencies and say, this is final spending level, then frankly, nobody from the USDA down to the Pentagon can get the money out the door where it's needed. So you end up having some places where you need to spend more that you don't have the funds and other places you've wasted money because maybe something you were doing last year is no longer a concern. And let's be a little fair. The House and the Senate are two different beasts in this right now. The House did pass all of its bills, at least through committee. So every committee, subcommittee, there were 12 appropriations bills and all got passed in July some early August, I think a couple in late June, uh, but they didn't get to the House floor. And in the Senate, the Senate got three bills done just through committee. Again, you had all year to do it and they were pretty deliberate and not doing much. And when you think about it too, I mean, it's just not knowing your funding levels. It's that this impacts hiring, this impacts, I mean, maybe there isn't a lot of travel during a pandemic, but it, travel decisions, other investments all get held up. And then at some point, whether it's in February or even later, they're finally going to get their final spending levels. And for most agencies, it's going to be a lot of agencies anyway. It's going to be a bump from what they got in 2021. And yet they're going to have a much shorter span of time to spend that money, that extra money. They're only going to have about six months or so instead of a whole 12 months. And that's just inevitably going to bring about waste. Yeah, absolutely. I will say that we want them to get on process here with budgeting, but to preview this week's waste basket for folks to look ahead on Friday. Friday. Wendy Jordan, also a regular guest on the podcast, will be talking about the impacts the CRs have on the Pentagon budget and how there are a lot of myths circulating around that impact. As we know, that agency has some issues with passing an audit and spending. And so sometimes limiting budget increase opportunities isn't a bad thing. Good cross promotion there, Autumn. And so you can subscribe to the Weekly Wastebasket. It's free and you can do that at www.taxpayer.net and continue doing these podcasts as well. And if somebody shared this with you, please subscribe and, and make sure you're getting Budget Watchdog AF. So before we move on to the uh, the big dog, the BBB, one last thing on the president's FY23 budget. That's normally supposed to be in February, but we've heard that that and the State of the Union has been pushed back. So the latest we have heard is that the State of the Union is going to be pushed back until March 1st, uh, which is also pushing back the president's budget request into mid to late March. We'll certainly be looking forward to that as budget nerds. And not only that, it's going to be prime podcasting uh, and uh, a lot of information to share with you. Uh, Budget Watchdog AF listeners. Okay, so as promised, moving to the BBB. From the looks of things, Build Back Better, the centerpiece of President Biden's legislative agenda, is dead. Not dead dead, but most certainly dead, right? Autumn and Josh, this package is big enough for both of you to talk about it. So what's the story? Is it dead or is nothing ever really dead in Washington? Nothing is ever truly dead in Washington. Certainly, this has been an up and down for people who, whether you support a lot of that's in the Build Back Better agenda or you oppose it, it's been a roller coaster ride. And for those of us who are knee deep in this, trying to get certain things in and many things out, it has been quite the ride. Right. So there's still a lot of rumblings in Washington, but it did look like the Build Back Better Act was dead in December, but we are still hearing a lot of rumblings. Back in November, the House had passed the $2.2 trillion version of the Build Back Better Act, and they volunteered it over to the Senate. Now, that package was pretty big. It included health care issues, child care access, universal pre-K, the child tax credit. So all these things, along with $555 billion in climate funding. So it's a big package. And 
I think although the House expected the Senate to to move on that, and there were a lot of negotiations, Senator Manchin uh, ended up publicly opposing the bill and saying he wasn't going to support it. So that pretty much killed the opportunity for it to happen in December. Since then, there's talks of some version of what we saw from the House, something trimmed back. And I think there is a lot of openness among certain folks, especially there's some, some House Democrats just lately talking about how they'd really like to see something done and uh, are interested in working with Senator Manchin to, to even think about trimming some stuff down. But in the Senate, really, we haven't seen any significant movement yet. They've been really tied up with voting um, legislation. As we know, voting rights has been a big issue. The filibuster debate, those issues have taken center stage lately. So we haven't seen any concrete action, but there definitely is an opportunity based on what people have said they support that, that something smaller could happen. I mean, Senator Manchin has voiced support for the tax breaks in the bill, right? There's $320 billion in clean energy tax breaks. We have some concerns about that portion of the bill, as folks might imagine. Uh, that's clean energy includes nuclear power, hydrogen, carbon capture and storage, many these things, we've raised concerns about being black holes for taxpayer subsidies. But that is something that has a lot of support. Uh, Tax preferences generally get bipartisan support. And that's something that Senator Manchin has said he supports. There's also a portion of the bill that was released on December 17th that comes from Senator Manchin's committee. So he's chair of the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee. So these are provisions he does support. So we are looking at that as something that would be included in any smaller trimmed down version of Build Back Better. And in particular, there are some reforms in there that we really like. So let me just step in there for a second there, Autumn. We've now mentioned Senator Manchin several times, and he's just one member of the Senate. What gives him such outsized influence over this whole package? What is his role and one of his other colleagues as well? Well, I think it's important to look at the process that this Build Back Better bill is going through, right? So we have a 50-50 Senate, and this is a good time for the sort of Budget Reconciliation 101. Well, yes. So again, in a Senate that's 50-50, most things in the Senate require 60 votes to get passed. So in an evenly divided Senate, unless there's broad agreement, you're not going to get much done. So that's when you get into this budget reconciliation process. And so this is um, a special maneuver, um, a special process that's been built into the federal budget that uh, Congress can go through a reconciliation process, which means essentially that they deem certain changes, certain spending levels, certain changes in uh, revenue, and then each committee of jurisdiction meets its target. And so they cobble together these, what end up becoming large pieces of legislation. But the kicker is that it only needs a 50 plus one votes to pass. So in the 50-50 Senate, if all 50 Democrats uh, or people that caucus with the Democrats agree, then the tiebreaker becomes the vice president who, unsurprisingly, as a Democrat, is going to vote with the majority. So that's what this whole process has been predicated on, is knowing that uh, in this environment with Republicans telegraphing ahead of time that they were not going to be supportive of much of the spending that was proposed by President Biden that would become this BBB, Democrats said, okay, we're going to do this process and we just have to, in our caucus, agree on the provisions. And that's what's been guiding this the last few months. In some ways, we're coming up on a year of this whole process, actually. Right. So that's why you can see Senator Manchin's influence here as chair of the Senate Energy and Natural Resource Committee. He has a lot of jurisdiction with all the sort of climate energy pieces. And then you know he's also raising a lot of other concerns about the size of the overall package. He's wanted things 1.8 trillion instead of 2.2. So all along, he's been saying these things, raising concerns while other Democrats have been 
generally supportive, with a couple of other exceptions, most notably Senator Cinema from Arizona. The silent partner, Senator Cinema, uh, in this, because she has not said a whole lot publicly, at least for the first few months, uh, about what she did or did not want in the bill. But if you speak Senateese, the language of the Senate, you can see that there are members uh, that are out there starting to say uh, what their priorities are in the bill, but also how this process, the reconciliation process, which again, is a part of the budget process and has been used dozens of times on large bills and on slightly smaller bills um, since it was created uh, almost 40 years ago uh, as a process. Um, But there's also the the general questions about the filibuster and the roles of senators and how you want to move forward. And of course, when you have 100 senators, they're all thinking of their own reelections and their own legacies and, and how this ties into other priorities that they have because, you know, they're going to be around for a while. So. So it's it's a it's a complicated process, but again, I think it's it all comes back to nothing's dead until this Congress is over. You know, like until there's an election and there's new senators, this thing is still alive, including this particular reconciliation process. Well, certainly this administration is in, interested in getting a win, and so as one lawmaker put it, it's not build back better; it'll be build back something. And so I think that they may do this whole chopping it up into smaller packages, seeing what will get through, what can stick. But you still have to kind of put it all together for the um, reconciliation. You only get that one bite at that apple. So it'll be interesting to see. And and I think Josh, you were mentioning that. Some of the concerns about the score, and I saw that uh, one of the things that Senator Manchin was talking about is he wanted the full 10-year score instead of having the gimmick that things expire early and so they don't cost as much, wanting to throw a uh, the ref's flag at that, which, of course, was definitely a huge part of the 2017 tax cut that passed under reconciliation that where virtually all of the tax provisions on the individual side of the ledger were supposed to expire by 2025, 2026. Clearly, that was a gimmick to be able to hold down the cost of the package, but then to still proffer all of these treats to the various individual taxpayers. As folks can probably tell from our conversation, there are a lot of pieces in the Build Back Better Act. We do have a website that uh, budget reconciliation resource page on our website, just to plug another uh, one of TCS's products. And you can see their different provisions. And you can also see our overarching principles and the things that we think are best for taxpayers in pursuing a Build Back Better bill or some sort of larger budget process. I mean, obviously, we have voiced concerns about climate liabilities for taxpayers, climate costs, other things that need to be addressed and Congress should be doing. And no process is perfect, but we go through there and evaluate different provisions within the current, within the House past 2.2 trillion. We sort of date things and people can sort of understand more how this massive piece of legislation sort of came together and has changed over time on that resource page. And you can also see, I'll put in one more plug for, there are some good reforms on oil and gas and the Build Back Better bill has given us another way to talk about the concerns we have with the oil and gas leasing program. So in that sense, that little piece of this has been positive for us. Senator Manchin shares our concerns on oil and gas leasing, many of those concerns and those provisions for reform were included in that Senator Energy and Natural Resources draft text that came out on December 17th. So in that piece of the Senate bill we talked about earlier, and I will note that was our inaugural podcast was talking about oil and gas leasing. Thanks, Autumn. You're listening to the Budget Watchdog All Federal, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending and tax issues facing the nation. I'm your host, TCS President Steve Ellis. So at one time, inextricably tied to the BBB, lawmakers cut that legislative Gordian knot and passed the BIF the Bipartisan Infrastructure Framework into law. 
What's the status of that? Where's the money going, Josh? Or even when is it going? Well, it, it seems like ancient history uh, back way back in the fall when that bill was uh, adopted and signed into law by the president. But uh, it's moving, you know, some of it fast, most of it slow. The president has appointed Mitch Landrieu, former mayor of New Orleans, as you, know, you can call him chief implementation officer or some other title, but he's essentially the infrastructure czar to sort of help facilitate uh, the some of the moving parts within the federal government. And also a lot of the money is going through the transportation department. So but what's important to know about this bipartisan infrastructure bill, because it was bipartisan, there were 17 Republican senators and all 50 Democrats, the two independents who caucus with them. So it, it, it got broad support because uh, it's more of a traditional bill. Uh, it's actual physical infrastructure, what what there's still agreed to as by most folks, infrastructure. It did not get into uh, some of the human infrastructure, as Democrats have called some of the social spending that's in the Build Back Better bill. And so it's really important to understand that a lot of media reports talk about a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. In reality, half of that was going to happen in one form or another when they passed a highway bill. So basically, I think it was about $580 billion of the total 10-year, again, the 10-year price tag of this bill uh, was actually, it's formula-based. It's coming from the Highway Trust Fund. It's coming, or the money we backfill into the Highway Trust Fund. But it's these accounts that were going to happen when Republicans and Democrats eventually agreed to do some sort of highway and mass transit bill. Now, there is some new money, but again, you got to really dig through the numbers because uh, when on things that are popular, like infrastructure, uh, lawmakers will often inflate the numbers because they like a trillion dollar bill there um, as opposed to deficits or other things where they they may undercut uh, and pretend like the money's not there. But it's still, you know, five hundred billion dollars. And until we started passing trillion dollar relief packages and things along those lines, that was pretty still pretty significant money. Uh, and so, I mean, it is it is a substantial package and certainly the surface transportation bill was the engine that um, helped it along and certainly helped to get bipartisan support. Yes, that's true. And it is significant because in many ways you will be doubling the annual spending uh, in some of these accounts. Um, but again, it's also over eight to 10 years, depending on how you look at it. Some of these were some of these programs are authorized for eight years. So even if you're doubling the spending, if you're taking that long, um, the impact is not going to be seen or felt immediately because it's infrastructure. It takes a long time to build. It takes a long time to contract, let alone build and, and uh, disperse the money. So that money will be trickling into the economy um, in comparison to the size of our economy. In some ways, it really will be a trickle in, in later years, but it'll be going on for the next eight years at least. Well, I can guarantee you, Josh, there's going to be a lot of ribbons cut before November. Uh, and so that part of it will uh, be happening. Uh, so we'll keep watching on that and tracking that funding. Budget Watchdog AF listeners know that the American Recovery Act, President Biden's COVID recovery bill, actually passed with surprising ease at the beginning of 2021. Since then, you've had the Delta variant, the mess in the Afghanistan withdrawal and an inflation spiral that really sucked the wind out of the president's legislative sales and kind of left him in this position where he is with the with the BBB and other legislation. And I didn't even mention Omicron. The go big or go home mantra is over in this session of Congress. Recognizing there still be some form of the BBB that will likely move. What small ball wins are still possible in this election year, if any? I think it's going to be a challenge to get smaller packages 
through uh, as the year gets later, right? We get closer to the midterm elections. And so we have a short window to get our house in order with appropriations and move on some sort of modified Build Back Better if they want to do that. And hopefully they will be looking out for taxpayers as they do that and not just throwing more money at more people to try to to bring them in. But I think as our our initial wastebasket out of the gate on resolutions shows, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens that can fill time if you can't get the hard work done. So I would note that folks should check out that wastebasket if they want a good laugh. Yeah. Tell them about the butter cow, Josh. Oh, butter cow. That's just way too important for me to handle. Uh, You should take care of that, Steve. But there is an opportunity, the continuing resolution that maintains the spending levels at last year's, it expires on February 18th. And so I can guarantee that there will be some anomalies. There will be something on there, especially if the Democrats decide that it it just looks like they're not going to make progress. They're going to find some of those smaller still large probably, but smaller pieces that they can cleave off and put in there. And also we've had disaster supplementals every year now for for four years, five years in a row. Um, It's a number of years. And so that's a time where sometimes some of it is legitimate. Um, But if you look at last week's wastebasket, we actually talked about how emergency spending is becoming endemic. Um, It's not technically, it's not really an emergency anymore, some of it. And so there's, there's definitely some opportunities and one other thing we could do, let's do a farm bill. Why not? We have time to do that. Um, and there's been some rumblings about that uh, in in Congress. But I do think that what you could see is there is a lot of spending that was proposed in the Build Back Better or still being proposed, uh, including $37 billion in, in ag conservation spending and focused on mitigating climate. Uh, and another almost 50 billion or so in the forestry section. And that's all about how to, uh, uh, ways of adapting to climate change. And so I do think with Democrats in control of the House and the Senate and the presidency, uh, especially again, if it does look like they're going to lose one or more chambers in the fall, then you might see some elements of, especially that climate bending to get some wins where they can. Um, So it's going to be a dynamic year one way or the other. That that is where you know you have the other side of that equation is that is if as the Republicans start feeling their electoral oats, uh, they're going to be less or less willing to go along or less willing to concede some of these wins if they really think that they're going to be able to be in charge of one or both chambers next Congress, and that's that tension that you're going to find, and really the Democrats trying to pick things that are big winners big energizers as well. Um, and about that butter cow. So that was that uh, we were talking about some of the resolutions that uh, Congress does to take up their time naming various things. And it was basically that National Butter Day was in November. And that was something that your lawmakers decided it was important enough to spend time designated a certain day as National Butter Day. Butter cows everywhere rejoice. Well, there you have it. The dynamics on Capitol Hill are always changing. And Americans taxpayers always have a seat at the table with TCS on the budget watchdog beat. This is the frequency. Mark it on your dial. Subscribe and share. And know this. Taxpayers for Common Sense has your back, America. We're reading the bills, monitoring the earmarks, and highlighting those wasteful programs that poorly spend our money and shift long-term risk to taxpayers. We'll be back with a new episode, and I hope you'll meet us right here.